Hello, hello, hello. I'm Chris Lingle. We are at Donkey Fish Studios here in Austin, Texas, and you are now in the storm. Hey, we got a great show ahead of us. We got a lot of stuff to get through. Get your life jackets at hand. Have them close by. The storm is a big one this week. Anyway, I watch Dances with Wolves over the weekend and as my mind is always on what's going on and what I'm talking about in the storm. I, of course, related our current situation to the epic saga. Most of us are John Dunbar and stands with a fist. Most of us, 99% of us, are not the uneducated redneck that wiped his ass with the pages of John Dunbar's diary. The Pawnee or the lamestream media, these captive agencies, Anifa, BLM, and the liberal progressive machine. And, of course, there's the government. They take without asking by force. And Dunbar stands with a fist, kicking bird, ten bears, wind in his hair, smiles a lot. The rest of the Sioux are all of us, fodder for the technocrats of their day, just as we are now. The wolf those soldiers shot in the ass for a good time is your freedom, and its blood is staining the hillside of our nation and our very way of life. It's the same old story just 150 years ago, and the Pawnee guide the government to the enemy they've had for decades and never been able to beat the Sioux. The government hunts them down to kill them or round them up and tell them where and how to live. 13 years later, the Sioux were gone. Can you imagine what 2035 is going to look like for the rest of us? It was also interesting to me how some 30 years later on Yellowstone, Costner followed up on the American Indian and the buffalo and how the government rounded up all the buffalo to slaughter them just to deny the Sioux of their food source. The buffalo became an endangered species worthy of government funding by the very government that caused their near extinction. Talk about a supply chain disruption. Well, folks will get in line for food when you prevent them from hunting it or farming it or buying it at the grocery store. But hell. If those Indians would have walked up on John, Bar, John Dunbar five minutes earlier, his name would have been Wipes with Leaves, and there would have been no movie in that. Um, all right, life jackets on as we turn this ship into the heart of the storm. Lots of press about transgenders in women's sports lately. It is so utterly ridiculous that I felt like we needed to revisit the issue as we haven't discussed it since the first episode. Look, it's really simple. This is going to piss some people off, but it's true. And I'll tell you, it's just science. It's probably eighth grade science. I close every episode right before I tell everyone I'll see you next time in the storm. I utter four words. There's only two genders. It's not me. It's biology. You have all kinds of wonderful rights in this country to be who you want to be. The science of it is if you have a penis, you're a man. If you have a vagina, you're a woman. This is not my opinion. This is two millennia or so of science. Women are women. Men are men. The differences between the two are both spectacular and amazing. If you've taken the final plunge of gender reassignment, you were still born a man. You made a change. Good for you, too. You can think you're whatever you want to be. That's your right to be certain. And you can make changes toward that end. I'm happy for you. But that does not make your belief a reality. In the bedroom, I think I'm Big Jim Slade. But that does not make it so. That being said, you have a right to be whatever you want to be. You just can't expect the rest of the world to tolerate every whim of your every dream, every fantasy that you entertain, any more than I can expect my wife to act like three minutes was 30 or three inches is 10. 
Once you start encroaching on the rights of others, you've become a tyrant, only interested in advancing your cause. If you want to compete in sports as a transgender, then you start a transgender league. But until you start that league, you should swim, run, throw, dribble, and compete in the gender which you were born to. Do you have a penis or do you have a vagina? This is why this is so utterly ridiculous, because it's really very simple. It's just as God, or if you don't believe in God, it's just as evolution intended. It's so simple and idiot could understand it look put on a gorgeous gown call in hair and makeup go out on the town chase guys no one cares maybe that's the problem Hmm. but you're trampling young women in their dreams dreams they've worked for very hard for their entire youth to fulfill because you have bigger hands and feet a huge advantage in upper body strength and lungs with more capacity your heart is bigger and you have a penis because you're a man. This is, it's just so stupid. Women in the locker room at Penn State saying how awkward it is with Leah Thomas's male genitalia hanging out in the shower. Are you listening to, are you hearing this? It's ridiculous. Leah Thomas's male genitalia hanging out in the shower in the ladies' locker room. You want to know what that means? Leah Thomas is still a man. Are you paying attention or have you just accepted the new normal? Have you lost your mind? This is someone's fantasy playing out in your child's school, college, and workplace. Hell, it's playing out at the public library. And if you have gone all the way and had your genitalia redesigned or realigned or remaligned or redefined, you still possess all or most of the advantages I mentioned before. They may have dwindled, but they're still there. They're certainly still there after nothing except a year or two of testosterone suppression therapy. The NCAA is, from what I understand, amending its policy to require three years of suppressed testosterone levels to compete. Hey, NCAA, how about you amend your policy to require the lack of a tallywhacker to play in women's sports, period? At least if they've had their gender completely reassigned, they can't just decide to come off the suppression therapy and go back from she to a he. Take some pills for three years, steal all the women's titles in track and field or in the swimming pool or on the basketball court or the softball field, and then just stop taking the pills. Do you really think no one's thought of this? Do you really think some of these guys are not thinking about this strategy? Really? Do you think someone will not sink so low? Do you really? In swimming and track and field, transgender athletes are shattering records and dominating the sport in which they compete. No surprise there. This From the Alliance Defending Freedom, they're spearheading the lawsuit with Chelsea Mitchell, a Connecticut women's track star who was forced to compete against males. It reads as follows. The CAIC allows biological males to compete in girls' and women's sports. As a result, two males began racing in girls' track in 2017. In the 2017, 2018, and 2019 seasons alone, these males took 15 women's state track championship titles, titles held in 2016 by nine different girls, and they took more than 85 opportunities to participate in higher level competitions that belong to female track athletes. Two males, 
three seasons, 15 state track championship titles held by nine different girls across the state and 85 chances to participate at higher levels across the state. A slap in the face to those nine girls and countless young female athletes who might have advanced in those 85 positions. When your dreams encroach on the dreams of others in this fashion, you've become nothing more than a tyrant, a bully concerned with nothing but advancing his agenda. Well, apparently the NCAA and the woke movement really don't give a shit about women, women's rights, or most certainly women's athletics. If they did, they wouldn't be letting a few guys who've taken testosterone suppression for a year or two, but still have their Jimmy or Johnson or Jingle Balls, complete, compete with women and act as if it's a level playing field. What's next? LeBron James and the WNBA? These transgendered athletes competing in women's sports, if they gave half a shit about being the woman they so badly desire to be, would they be doing this to women who have worked their entire biological lives to achieve the goals they've strived for? Would these transgendered athletes strip titles and chances for advancement to compete in quarterfinals and semifinals and championships? If they gave a rat's ass about the women they desperately want to become, would they do this to those very same women? It's insanity, and as my mother would say, you've all lost your minds and you're a bunch of morons. I, I didn't do the As My Mother Would Say segment last episode. Caught some flack from my sister Gigi about it. So there you go. You're Ouijanist. Um, listen, these guys are nothing more than attention seekers, just like Megan Rapinoe on the USA soccer team. While she's not transgender, she just wasn't apparently getting enough attention for her abilities playing on the U.S. soccer team, winning the gold, things like that. She decided to take it to the next level so all of us would know who she is. Well, what the hell? She got a deal with Subway out of her self-promotion, so it's all good. She is an opportunist and a genuine piece of garbage. Here's a woman who, after being given her entire young adult existence by her country, decided to trash America, the American flag, was disgusted by the national anthem, and told everyone how she regarded this country with great disdain. This country housed her in top-notch facilities, funded by American taxpayers, fed her the best food designed to keep her healthy and maximize her potential, funded by the American taxpayers, trained her at the best soccer and training facilities money could buy with the best coaches that could be bought with funds provided by American taxpayers. They gave her the best medical care money could buy in the best hospitals and clinics anywhere on the globe, all funded by the American taxpayer. This country was a country full of oppression and disenfranchisement for people like her. You ungrateful little bully of a brat, like little Nellie Olson on Little House on the Prairie. Maybe a couple of transgendered folks ought to come over to the soccer field and swing it around the locker room with you. Then you'd be oppressed, you horrible excuse for a person, a person who is supposed to be a representative for this great nation. Rapinoe, by the way, well, she won't have to struggle with playing for Team USA, the team that represents the country, the flag, and the anthem she hates so much. She won't have to bear that burden anymore, as she did not make the cut for this year's team. Now, let's look at something in USA that caught my eye, USA Today that caught my eye. Um, It's not about sports, but it is important as I think it punctuates exactly how scary this must be for women of all ages. Women have many wonderful attributes that they uniquely possess. The most spectacular, the ability to procreate by carrying a child to term. Yep. While it does take a little help from a guy, 
at least some DNA, the ability to carry a child in the womb is just a miracle to me, as it is to most of us guys. Well, it's just one of the many wonderfully glorious differences between men and women that need to be left the hell alone. Anyway, listen to this from USA Today. It's from Chicago. Um, it, it says one and a half year old Zane Brady Davis jumped up and down on her father's lap on a sunny park bench beside a model yacht pool on the south side of Chicago, where her father used to sit by the rocks and watch boat races as a kid. Brady Davis, who uses gender neutral pronouns, is trans masculine and non-binary. I'm assuming they mean the father, as I surely hope no one would force a one and a half year old to make that kind of choice. They the mother and the father, were assigned female at birth, but know themselves to be masculine. And their gender identity falls outside the categories of a man and a woman. By the end of 2019, they gave birth to, birth to their first child, Zane. Brady Davis is just one of many transgender, non-binary, and other gender non-conforming people worldwide who have given birth. The topic gained public attention this month when several U.S. lawmakers used the term pregnant people and birthing people at a congressional hearing. Big shocker there. Spurring critique from colleagues and a swirl of backlash on social media. Based in Portland, Oregon, recent as partner Biff adopted two kids, Haley and Lucas, in 2016. The next year, Reese gave birth to his son, Leo. Families like mine... Ours, transgender families, LBGT families, we want the same things that everyone else does, Reese said. The fact of the matter is, not all pregnant people are women, Brown said. And so the moment that we use, the, the moment that we use in legislation or in research woman or womanhood to describe pregnancy, we're losing people right off the bat. Yeah, you're losing people right off the bat, all right, because only a woman is capable of birthing a baby. There's one birthing person in a relationship, and that person is a woman. No matter what she thinks she is, it's utterly ridiculous to throw science right out the window and kowtow to this lunacy. J.K. Rowling was right about when she said that trans women were taking over women's spaces and that the very concept of womanhood was being deconstructed to accommodate them. It certainly would appear so, J.K., more on transgendered women in sports. People are finally waking up, standing up, getting pissed off, and doing something about it, and I'm so happy to see it. Sixteen Penn swimmers say transgender teammate Leah Thomas shouldn't be allowed to compete. This from Jason Owens in Yahoo Sports. It's from last Thursday, February 3rd. Sixteen teammates of Penn transgender swimmer Leah Thomas sent a letter to school to the school and Ivy League arguing that Thomas has an unfair advantage in the pool and shouldn't be allowed to compete. No fooling. The letter obtained by the Washington Post on Thursday asked that the institutions decline to take legal action that could clear a path for Thomas to compete at next month's NCAA championship. Thursday's letter was sent by 1984 Olympic gold medalist Nancy Hogshead Makar. She's the chief executive of Champion Women and a critic of Thomas's presence in the pool as a woman's com women's competitor. The 16 Penn swimmers who supported the letter remained anonymous, according to the Post. We fully support Leah Thomas and her decision to affirm her gender identity and to transition from a man to a woman. Leah has every right to live her life authentically. However, we also recognize that when it comes to sports competition, that the biology of sex is a separate issue from someone's gender identity. 
Maybe I should have put it that way in the opening monologue. Eh, I don't know. I like my way. Biologically, Leah holds an unfair advantage over competition in the women's category, as evidenced by her rankings that have bounced from 462 as a male to number one as a female. If she were to be eligible to compete against us, she could now break Penn, Ivy, and NCAA women's swimming records, feats she could never have done as a male athlete. The letter contrasts the official statement issued Tuesday from the Penn swimming and diving team. We want to express our full support for Leah in her transition. Tuesday's Penn State announcement read, We value her as a person, teammate, and friend. The sentiments put forward by an anonymous member of our team are not representative of the feelings, values, and opinions of the entire Penn team, composed of 39 women with diverse backgrounds. So it appears Penn State doesn't give a damn about women in sports either, but rather desire to ignore basic biology and further the agenda of the woke crowd and the LGBTQ Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z movement. I left out the letter P. That's probably the next letter to be added to this alphabet soup of big dreamers. I suppose we'll have to see about that. Leah Thomas has broken two school records and posted NCAA best times in two events since transitioning and competing as a woman. A pen swimmer told Fox News in an interview last week that transgender athletes who went through male puberty have monumental advantages in athletic competition. The swimmer who was also who also chose to remain anonymous is hopeful that after the NCAA amended its policy in January to allow individual sports to determine the eligibility of transgender athletes. The swimmers in support of Thursday's letter asked the Ivy League and Penn not to legally challenge that ruling, which could prevent Thomas from competing at the NCAA championships, depending on what new standards are set. Thomas, a senior, spent three seasons competing for Penn State's men's team. He transitioned to a woman and has competed for the women's team this season after undergoing testosterone suppression for more than two years. Since joining the women's team, she has broken two school records and posted the fastest times in the nation in 200 and 500-yard freestyle events. Her performances sparked debate about the fairness of her eligibility for women's competition. Fellow former Olympian Donna DeVarona has joined Hogshead Makar in criticizing her eligibility. Thursday's letter argued that Thomas's presence at the Ivy League championships would take away competitive opportunities from other Penn swimmers as schools are only allowed to send a portion of their teams to the competition. It's just insanity that collegiate athletics is allowing this to begin with. All for the woke agenda. It sure isn't in the name of advancement for women or women's rights. Just more normalization of bizarro world. And these are the people who look at me and tell me to follow the science. Now, let's talk about the fastest girl in Connecticut. Another young lady who's had enough and is standing up and saying that this is not right. In an editor's note on May 22nd, USA Today published an opinion piece from Alliance Defending Freedom client Chelsea Mitchell. Uh, concerning Sewell v. Connecticut Association of Schools about the injustice she experienced as an athlete who was forced to compete against males in track. On May 25th, editors at USA Today, without notice to Chelsea, changed the word male to transgender throughout her piece and added the following editor's note to the top of it. This column has been updated to reflect USA Today standards and style guidelines. We regret that hurtful 
language was was used. Well, they're not going to like my show at all, are they? We reproduced the original version of Chelsea's piece below so that you can read what she wrote prior to USA Today's post-publication edits and editor's notes, which inappropriately assigned hurtful motives to Chelsea's logical use of the word male to refer to the biology of males who compete in women's sports. This by Chelsea Mitchell. It's February 2020. I'm crouched at the starting line of the high school girls 55 meter indoor race. This should be one of the best days of my life. I'm running in the state championship and I'm ranked the fastest high school female in the 55 meter dash in the state. I should be feeling confident. I should know I have a strong shot at winning. Instead, all I can think about is how all my training, everything I've done to maximize my performance might not be enough simply because there's a runner on the line with an enormous physical advantage a male body i won the race and i'm grateful but time after time i've lost i've lost four women's state championship titles two all new england awards and numerous other spots on the podium to male runners i was bumped to third place in the 55 meter dash in 2019 behind two male runners with every loss it gets harder and harder to try again it's a devastating experience it tells me i'm not good enough that my body isn't good enough and that no matter how hard i work i am unlikely to succeed because i am a woman That experience is why three of my fellow female athletes and I filed a lawsuit last year with Alliance Defending Freedom against the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference because girls and women shouldn't be stripped of their right to fair competition. I might have mentioned it earlier, the CIAC allows biological males to compete in girls and women's sports. As a result, two males began racing in girls track in 2017. 2017, 2018, 2019 seasons alone took 15 women's state championship titles held in 2016 by nine different girls and 85 opportunities to participate in higher level competitions that belong to female track athletes. So back to Chelsea's piece. That's because males have massive physical advantages. Their bodies are simply bigger and stronger on average than female bodies. It's obvious to every single girl on the track. But Connecticut officials are determined to ignore the obvious. And unfortunately, a federal district court recently dismissed our case. The court's decision to do so tells women and girls that their feelings and opportunities don't matter and that they can expect anyone to stand up for their dignity and their rights. That's wrong. It chips away at women's confidence and our belief in our own abilities. It's happened to me over and over. Every time I walk up to the starting line, I try to tell myself that I can overcome the unfair odds. I can win even though the race is stacked against me. But besides the psychological toll of experiencing unfair losses over and over, the CIAC's policy has more tangible harms for women. It robs girls of the chance to race in front of college scouts who show up for elite meets and to compete for the scholarships and opportunities that come with college recruitment. I'll never know how my own college recruitment was impacted by losing those four state championship titles to a male. When colleges looked at my record, they didn't see the fastest girl in Connecticut. They saw a second or third place runner. 
It's not just happening to me. My friend and fellow plaintiff, Selena Sewell, was bumped from qualifying from the state championship 55-meter final and an opportunity to qualify for the New England championship by a male runner in 2019. Meanwhile, Alana Smith, an incredibly talented female athlete, was the second-place female runner in the 200-meter at the New England Regional Championships, but was dropped to third behind a male competitor. It's discouraging that the federal district court has decided that these experiences, these lost opportunities, they simply don't matter. I'm not beaten yet. Neither are my fellow female athletes. Through our ADF attorneys, my fellow athletes and I are appealing the federal district court's ruling. We're taking our case to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, where we are going to ask once again for the court to recognize our right to fair competition, a right that Title IX has promised to girls and women for 50 years. And we're fighting not just for ourselves, but for all female athletes so as we prepare for this next step in the case i'm settling into my starting blocks again but for a different kind of race and this time i'm confident that we can win chelsea mitchell is an award-winning uh, athlete from canton high school in connecticut she's running track at the collegiate level well done chelsea well done uh, south dakota governor Christy Noem, she just passed a ban on boys competing in girls' sports. South Dakota is the 10th state in the United States to implement such a ban. In South Dakota, you can only compete in a sport in the gender in which you were born to. So there's that. Um, thank goodness, Christy Noem and nine other governors and state legislatures, they get it. How hard is it to get? It's eighth grade biology. We're going to move on to censorship. We talked about it last week. I think we talked about it the week before. Well, it's kind of all over the place now. They are just beating up on Joe Rogan and uh, Robert Malone and uh, Peter McCullough and anybody that's going against the narrative. Big tech and the machine, they are ratcheting up the cancel culture. Uh, Malone and McCullough really shook things up for the power brokers and technocrats as they go after the Joe Rogan experience with everything they've got for spreading misinformation. Uh, make no mistake about it. These folks could care less what Joe Rogan or anyone else said 10 years ago. This is about Rogan's very reputable guests shredding the narrative and the lies that have been pushed on Americans since March of 2020. Anyway, just who decides what is information and what is misinformation? Malone holds nine patents for mRNA vaccines and McCullough is the most published doctor in his field. So, the, so anyone I mean, anyone who does not toe the line with masks, mandates, or vaccine is now spreading misinformation. It would appear that way. There can be no discourse, no debate, no difference of opinion. The matter is settled, and the decision is final. Well, thanks to that pesky little document called the U.S. Constitution and an enclave of intelligent people who question this narrative, it isn't settled, and it isn't final. Much of what was considered to be disinformation in April of 2020 or October of 21 or even January of 2022 is now proven to be fact. We were lied to about the origins of the virus. We were told it didn't come from a lab. Well, that's been proven to be a lie. We were lied to about masks. They really don't protect you from much. We were lied to about natural immunity not being effective. As evidence suggests, natural immunity is from 5 to 20 times better than vaccinated immunity. Why is there this incessant need to stifle debate at every turn? Since when do we listen to just one opinion? Since when do we not seek answers to the questions we have? Hell, since when do we not have the questions in the first place? Since when do we lay down and comply with government diktats without 
Question, since when do we not question government or medicine or Big Pharma or some kid named Coco deciding whose content or what content is published or hosted on YouTube? Why do the powers that be refuse to let go of this bug? Why do they refuse to admit that it's on the way out, especially after what we've all seen with Omicron? Nearly everyone has gotten infected with it and had mild symptoms, virtually assuring herd immunity. Why indeed? Why do they ignore evidence of herd immunity? Early in the pandemic, they discounted the concept as a myth. Myth my eye. Why would they not want to find out through rigorous antibody testing just who is immune and who is not and how long natural immunity lasts versus vaccinated immunity? They already know how long vaccinated immunity lasts, and it's measured in months. And why in the hell did our leaders in the healthcare industry and our government refuse to treat this disease until someone was already next to death and beyond treatment? Not only did they refuse, they launched a smear campaign against anyone who spoke out with treatment regimens that were successful, and they mercilessly blocked access to the drugs those doctors were using. This had been a concerted and concentrated effort on the behalf of the U.S. government, big tech, big pharma, to silence any and all critics of their narrative that lockdowns were essential and successful, that children needed to be in masks at school, if they can even have school at all, that everyone, every last one of us needs to be vaccinated and boosted and boosted and boosted, whether we want to or not. You know why they denied treatment? Have you figured out why they do not want a treatment for COVID-19? I've been telling you to follow the money. Fauci, with his policy of no treatment, is responsible for more than a half a million COVID deaths in the United States. Well, you take away those half a million deaths from the death count. Death count. Lives that could have been saved by hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D, or something as simple as nebulizing dilute betadine or hydrogen peroxide into your nasal cavities and your throat. You have no emergency authorization for a vaccine. That's what happens when you have drugs that treat a disease very easily that are already on the market. You have no emergency authorization for a vaccine. There would have been no need for it. They've used this disease quite effectively to dramatically change the landscape of your life. They've decimated your privacy rights. They've obliterated your medical rights, your right to free speech, your right to freely assemble, your right to worship, all removed, all for COVID, all destroyed for your protection. Mark my words. They'll come after your Second Amendment rights and your basic rights of private property next. That's what they want the new world order. And none of us is going to be anything more than an energy source, a resource to be deployed by an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful order of folks more enlightened and certainly more enriched than you and I. Wake up, Copper Top. This is medical tyranny beyond what I ever thought we'd endure as Americans at this point in time. Don't believe me? Well, this from Mary Margaret Olihan just this month. I can't remember the publication, but you can search it. A physician named Stephen Scully in Rhode Island was prohibited in October in 2021 from practicing medicine because of his vaccination status. He's now suing the state to regain his ability to practice. According to the state, the good doctor's medical exemption would not be granted, and he would be mandated by the Rhode Island Department of Health to be vaccinated or cease his oral and maxillofacial surgeries and close his practice. 
Now, this according to the article. The lawsuit filed Friday in the United States District Court for Rhode Island against McKee, a Democrat and former Rhode Island Department of Health Director, Nicole Alexander Scott, seeks to stop the state from preventing him from practice medicine, practicing medicine. Here's where the medical tyranny comes in. Dr. Scully, he's not an anti-vaxxer, the lawsuit said. Two previous occasions, he'd suffered Bell's palsy, facial paralysis, considering this medical history and the scientifically demonstrated association between COVID-19 vaccination and the onset of Bell's palsy paralysis. Dr. Scully requested a medical exemption from the vaccine mandate. He asked the state to treat him in the same manner as other healthcare workers being granted medical or religious exemptions. Rhode Island's refusal to acknowledge this medical risk is, in effect, a state directive that Dr. Scully must risk facial paralysis to continue to perfect to practice his profession the lawsuit continued this state directive is a callous violation of dr scully's rights and unnecessary to protect the vulnerable patient scully is represented by washington dc basic civil uh based civil rights group the new civil liberties alliance he is also the chairman of the rhode island center for freedom and prosperity the complaint presents two arguments according to the press release from the rhode island center for freedom and prosperity scully's equal protection and due processes process rights were violated under the 14th amendment and that it was an irrational and arbitrary move for the Rhode Island Department of Health to deny Scully's medical exemption request, particularly in light of his medical history of having Bell's palsy, palsy facial paralysis. Scully told the Daily Signal in October that he had a complicated issue following a couple of episodes of Lyme disease, which resulted in him having some Bell's palsy. The doctor says some of the literature suggests that these vaccinations and this COVID-19 vaccination could predispose patients with a history of Lyme disease and Bell's palsy and an increased risk of developing Bell's palsy, he continued. Dr. Scully, who has agreed to comply with required testing and masking protocols, presents no more of a risk to patients than the hundreds and thousands of other other healthcare workers vaccinated or not infected or not who are currently allowed to care for patients under those same protocols reads the press release the good doctor also contracted covid19 in december of 2020 so he told uh, uh the daily signal he was quarantined he was sick for a few days he went back to work he says it's given me a pretty robust naturally acquired immunity and probably and the literature is suggesting that i might have five times the antibodies that a fully vac- vaccinated person might have so uh, the doctor pointed out he saw many patients throughout the pandemic when there were no vaccines and herd immunity wasn't even close uh fast forward 19 20 months later we're approaching herd immunity if not already achieved it the good doctor said we have a vaccination i have naturally acquired immunity in addition with universal precautions i think i should be able to continue practicing i think he should too uh shouldn't he be afforded some medical freedom to make his own decisions here, shouldn't he? If he's not eligible for an ex- for an exemption, then who is? Um, why do you have to justify yourself with some bullshit exemption anyway? I, I don't want it. Should simply be enough. Uh, this has gotten ridiculous. This cancel culture and censorship is out of control. We'd better take a stand now. Support free speech. Support dissent. Support discussion. Support your friend that doesn't want a shot. Support your friend that does. Support questioning authority and questioning science. Support doctors and anyone else uh, who questions the status quo. Um, the truth has no problem with questions, but a lie, an agenda, 
It will stifle any and all of those who question the status quo and the narrative. All of you rebels out there towing the narrative line, well, you better watch out because you're not half the rebel that you think you are. When you blindly follow government diktats and criticize those who do not, you've become nothing more than a bully for the establishment, a tyrant. Dr. Robert Malone in the news since his appearance on the Joe Rogan experience. Dr. Robert Malone, he sent down with Candace Owens at the Daily Wire as well to discuss vaccines, the pandemic response, masking our children, the theory of mass formation psychosis, all the things we talked about on the last two episodes of The Storm. It's no wonder that technocracy wants to silence Dr. Robert Malone and platforms that would give him time. An article I came across from the Daily Mall looks into both interviews with Malone. We spoke extensively on the last episode about Bill Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We spoke of how Gates has been driving this agenda for a while now and how he uses his charitable network of his own companies and media outlets and regulatory agencies to shape the world in the vision he wants to impose on the rest of us less enlightened souls. When speaking of Bill Gates, Malone said he's a monopolist. He's an excellent monopolist. Remember? We talked about the original monopolist on the last episode, John Rockefeller. Well, Gates is the new Rockefeller, and I'd be willing to bet he makes the same comparison himself. Rockefeller had oil, the liquid gold that bought us better lighting, powered a nation, and it ushered us into the industrial age. Gates has the microchip and captive agencies and social media. And Gates wants to usher us into the new world order controlled by technocrats and designed to enrich their wealth and the power and the wealth and power of their family and close friends. Malone eloquently opines he built Microsoft on the bones of IBM and everybody else. The scientists continued. He captured that industry. He captured the browser industry and the government basically shut him down. Malone explains that Gates, after being hammered by antitrust litigiousness, was looking to reinvent himself, and he did it through philanthropy and immersing himself in the global health machine and lining the pockets of those in charge of said industry. A tiger can't change its stripes. A leopard can't change its spots, Malone continued. He has systematically monopolized the global health response to infectious disease. The global health, I'm sorry, the global public health care response, he owns it. Um, what did he do when he got shut down? He got embarrassed. Uh, some videotapes. He's rocking back and forth the seat in Congress. Well, what did he do? He tried to rehabilitate himself. He moved into philanthropic work and public health. Malone continued. We talked about it uh, last week. Gates's opinion is that we can get back to normal only unless only or until or unless everyone is vaccinated. Numerous outlets, including CNBC last year, promoted Gates' hope that the world would go back to normal by the end of 22, largely by way of vaccines. I'm sure Gates can't stand McCullough or Malone, and I've got a suspicion the feeling is mutual. On January 10th, more than 250 doctors signed an open letter to Spotify entitled A Call from the Global Scientific and Medical Communities to Implement a Misinformation Policy. A Misinformation Policy. Well, my, how Orwellian. By allowing the propagation of false and societally harmful assertions, Spotify is enabling its hosted media to damage public trust in scientific research and sow doubt in the credibility of data-driven guidance offered by medical professions, they said. Never mind the fact that they scrubbed any other data-driven guidance that went against their narrative. I watched all through this thing as we threw out decades of virology. 
Natural immunity was no longer a viable option, as suddenly it was something we could not rely upon or just too dangerous to acquire. Vaccines were our only hope for something with the fatality rate of the flu, and those numbers are inflated because we did not treat any patients for this disease. Nope. We all need shots that we know don't work well and boosters that don't work well either. Studies on masks were scrubbed from the Internet because they said that masks do nothing to prevent infection in the operating theater or in the general population. Uh, They're not protecting you against COVID. They never have. I've watched as we pulled out all the stops for this pathogen, shut down the world we did, spent tens of trillions of dollars we did, and the machine would have us continue down this path ad nauseum forever. They, the 200 or so doctors, they point out that Rogan's average listener was 24 and his vaccine skepticism was dangerous. Unvaccinated 12 to 30 year olds are 12 times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID than those who are fully vaccinated. I'm not sure how they came up with that stat, but let's not forget that 12 to 34 year olds are at what percentage of risk for the virus? 12 to 34 year olds probably have no business getting a vaccine in the first place. And our leaders know this. Most 12 to 34 year olds have most likely been infected with mild symptoms or no symptoms, and they have natural immunity contributing to herd immunity. This is not only a scientific or medical concern, the article goes on to say. It's a sociological issue of devastating proportions, and Spotify is responsible for allowing this activity to thrive on its platform. Malone told Rogan he was banned from LinkedIn before being banned from Twitter because he tweeted a LinkedIn post noting that the chairman of the board of Thomson Reuters is also on the board of Pfizer. And I quote, he says, I simply wrote, does this look like a conflict of interest to you? Well, Malone was a little incorrect about the person, but there is a high level of connection. James C. Smith, the chair of the Thomson Reuters Foundation, a charity devoted to supporting the media, is on Pfizer's board. And Smith was chief executive of Thomson Reuters until his retirement in February of 2020. Malone claimed that half a million excess deaths were caused because the U.S. government was dismissing certain drugs out of hand without testing them. It's not just ivermectin, it's hydroxychloroquine too, Malone told told Rogan. Uh, Just to put a marker on that, there are good modeling studies that probably half a million excess deaths have happened in the United States through the intentional blockade of the early treatment by the U.S. government. Malone said there was some sort of a concerted effort to suppress the use of hydroxychloroquine. We're going to get into that in great detail next episode. I definitely don't have time for it on this one, uh, but it's, it's, it, it makes me sick. Um, on June 15th, 2020, the Food and Drug Administration did, in fact, revoke the emergency authorization for hydroxychloroquine. Uh, This is a drug that's been around for 60 years, and it's been used safely for 60 years in most countries. It was over-the-counter until now. We're going to talk about it in depth next week in the storm. Uh, Like I said, it it made me sick. It's going to make, it really will make you sick. Um, Malone said there were many unknowns. He could not explain the FDA's decision. He added, so what's the motivation? Uh, You're right. None of it makes sense, you know? Well, like I said, For three episodes now, follow the money. 
Malone said there's a clearly concerted effort on the part of multiple players in the pharmaceutical industry in concordance with the federal government to kill ivermectin as a potential alternative early treatment strategy. He added, it's fairly cheap because it's easy to make and you know we can get ivermectin in bulk at less than a penny a dose. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, in, in October, it emerged that uh, molnupavir, uh, I'm sorry, molnupiravir, the new medicine being hailed as a huge advance in the treatment of COVID-19, costs $17.74 to produce, yet Merck is charging the U.S. government $712 for the same amount of medicine, uh, about 40 times the price. Pfizer's COVID drug, uh, Paxlovid, it's been sold to the U.S. government at $530 for a course of treatment. Uh, Malone claimed the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh had found a way of handling the pandemic, but had agreed to keep quiet about how in some agreement with the Biden administration, uh, they agreed to keep all this quiet. Uh, The state in northern India is home to some 204 million people, making it the most populous state in India. It's very similar to the United States and its population makeup and geography and such. It's a really good place to kind of study how COVID moved around and what they did to it. But apparently... um, we're, we're not going to get that information. The virus was devastating the region. The decision was made out of desperation in that province to deploy early treatments as packages widely throughout the province. Malone claimed the packages include a number of different drugs. The rumor that was ivermectin was among them. I, I bet hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine was among them, too. Um, uh, Malone said... Uh, Also, that there was an agreement between Joe Biden and the Indian Prime Minister uh, Narendra Modi uh, not to reveal what was in the packages. Uh, A specific visit of Biden to Modi and a decision was made in the Indian government not to disclose the contents of those packages that were being deployed. Uh, Biden and Modi did, in fact, meet at the White House in September of 2021. Malone contended during the interview with Joe Rogan that taking the vaccine after having COVID can be bad for you. Malone told Rogan, what we do know for sure is well-documented. If you've got prior COVID, natural immunity, you have a higher risk of adverse events from the jab. Malone had COVID in February 2020, and then when the vaccine became available, took two doses of Moderna. He said he was left with irregularities of a heartbeat, incredible hypertension, POT syndrome, narcolepsy, and restless leg syndrome. Uh, Malone claimed that there were over 140 studies that document that natural immunity is superior to vaccine-induced immunity, adding, oh, by the way, as a vaccino- uh, vaccinologist and immunologist, uh, I wouldn't expect anything different. I, I wouldn't either with my years in healthcare. I can't imagine anything different. Uh, certainly are several studies that show natural immunity to be stronger against COVID than vaccines. A November 2021 study involved 201,269 patients and found that unvaccinated people with a previous infection were five and a half times more likely to test positive for COVID antibodies than vaccinated people. Malone said he was aghast by the CDC recommending vaccines for those who had already been infected, saying they based their recommendation on a very small study with intrinsic bias all over the place. Well, he didn't specify which study he was referring to, but the Daily Mail cites a study in September of 2021 from the CDC. It found that previous infection was no guarantee of immunity. It involved 72 patients. Fauci tried to destroy eminent scientists who opposed lockdown. Well, Malone melinded about Fauci. He said, if the CDC says the world is flat, then the world is flat and there will be no discussion about it, whether or not the world is flat. So whatever the CDC or Tony Fauci or Tedros, that's the head of the who, says is the truth by definition. Sound familiar? 
Malone mentioned Fauci's opposition to the Great Barrington Declaration, an October 2020 proposal from three scientists founded by the American Institute for Economic Research that healthy people should be allowed to live their normal lives despite the pandemic. They argued the lockdowns were more harmful to the general population uh, than they were beneficial, and only vulnerable people should be in isolation the way we've done it forever. Fauci and the head of the National Institute of Health colluded on a, on a way to discredit the alternative plan to deal with COVID. Uh, that's what some released emails uh, reveal. They show Fauci and Francis Colling, Collins attempting to coordinate a devastating takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration. Um, October, e- uh, October 8 email from Collins to Fauci. Uh, the head of the NIH calls for the GBD, uh, calls the GBD the work of three fringe epidemiologists that seem to be getting a lot of attention. Collins adds, there needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like that online yet. Is it underway? Uh, Fauci, uh, later in the day, Fauci sent Collins a wired op-ed that refuted the notion of herd immunity stopping the pandemic. Collins then sends Fauci an op-ed in The Nation also trashing the GBD. A few days later, Collins emails Fauci a Washington Post op-ed. He's quoted in headline proposal to hasten herd immunity to the coronavirus grabs White House attention, but appalls top scientists. Collins, working under former President Donald Trump at the time, said, my quotes are accurate, but we, but will not be appreciated by the White House. Fauci responds, ah, they're too, too busy with other things to worry about this. What you said was entirely correct. Uh, the GBD, authored by previous DailyMail.com contributor uh, Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University and uh, Sinetra Gupta of the University of Oxford and Martin Kulldorff of Harvard University, calls for individuals at significantly lower risk of dying from COVID-19, as well as those at higher risk who so wish to be allowed to resorm, resume their normal lives. That would mean allowing people in low-risk groups to go to offices, hang out in bars and restaurants, and go to sporting and entertainment events. The centerpiece of the declaration, according to Dr. Bhattacharya, is a call for increased focused protection of the vulnerable population who are more than a thousand times likely to die from COVID infection than the young. The declaration makes no mention of social distancing, masks, tracing, long-term COVID cases, but suggests an increased infection of those at lower risks would build herd immunity. And it would. Uh, Bhattacharya tweeted in response to the email, so now I know what it feels like to be the subject of a propaganda attack by my own government. Discussion and engagement perhaps might have been a better path. Malone told Rogan they came out with a specific statement that these lockdowns were going to cause more harm than help, which was contrary to the messaging that was being put out by Tony. So Tony decided they had to be destroyed. Malone said that it was impossible to trust the U.S. death rate from COVID because hospitals were incentivized to declare a death as being from COVID rather than a car crash or a gunshot. What we see is the explosion of vaccine-associated deaths, and to kind of pick that apart, people say, you know, well, if you had a car accident or a bullet to the head and you went to the hospital and they tested you with a PCR test that's nonspecific and they ran it up to 42 cycles and they said, oh, look, there's a virus, and by the way, They have a financial incentive to do that. There's something like a $3,000 basically death benefit to a hospital if the death was claimed to have been from COVID. There's a financial incentive to call somebody COVID positive. The CDC made this determination uh, in year one 
And this is why all your baseline data is junk. That's from Malone. Uh, Scott Jensen, a Republican senator from Minnesota, who's also a physician, said that there were significant financial benefits in his district for having a COVID case in April 2020. He said hospital administrators might well want to see COVID-19 attached to a discharge summary or a death certificate. Why? It's straightforward garden variety pneumonia that person's admitted to the hospital for if they're Medicare. Typically, the diagnosis-related group, DRG, lump sum payment, would be about $5,000. If it's COVID pneumonia, then it's $13,000. If it's COVID pneumonia and they get put on a ventilator, then it's $39,000. USA Today verified the claim. Hospitals and doctors do get paid more for Medicare patients diagnosed with COVID-19 or if it's considered uh, presumed that they had COVID-19 absent a laboratory-confirmed test. They're paid three times more if the patients are placed on a ventilator to cover the cost of care and loss of business, resulting from a shift in focus to treat COVID-19 cases. Uh, Rogan asked Malone, is it really true that if someone has a gunshot wound and they're dying of that gunshot wound and you check them for COVID and they're COVID positive and they die, it's marked off as a COVID death? Malone replied, that is by definition from the CDC. That was a decision that was made early on. I pointed out why uh, you need all these deaths for emergency vaccine authorization. The Daily Mall points out there have been isolated reports of death being initially misclassified, but no evidence of widespread falsification of data, as claimed by Malone. Um, Malone referenced the case of Maddie Degari, a 12-year-old girl from Cincinnati whose mother claims that she was left paralyzed after taking the Pfizer uh, vaccination. Excuse me. Um, she was totally fine before this. The mother said she did the right thing. She tried to help everybody else and they're not helping her. She told Tucker Carlson, the only diagnosis we've gotten for her is that it's conversion disorder or a functional neurologic symptom disorder. And they're blaming it on anxiety. Well, the irony is, uh, she didn't have any anxiety before she was vaccinated. Uh, Degari explained that after receiving the second coronavirus vaccine dose, her daughter started developing severe abdominal and chest pains. Maddie described uh, the severity of the pain to her mother as it feels like my heart is being ripped out through my neck and she now needs a feeding tube to eat. Her symptoms have not been explained by Pfizer. Um, Rogan asked Malone about myocarditis, inflammation in the heart muscle, and whether it was true that one in a thousand people have adverse events and including myocarditis. If myocarditis that requires hospitalization, it's one in 2,700. Malone replied, yes, in boys. Uh, In October, a large analysis published in the New England Journal of Medicine did find that males between 16 and 29 years of age have an increased risk of developing heart problems after receiving a second dose of coronavirus vaccines made by Pfizer, uh, BioNTech, or Moderna. uh, Malone also claimed the vaccine could alter the menstrual cycle, saying there had been a huge number of dysmenorrhea, severe cramps, and uh, metaragia, a condition when your period lasts more than seven days or you have some spotting in between periods. Uh, Widespread reports have changed to the menstrual cycle and further research is underway. He said he was concerned that an excessive number of vaccinations could actually harm the immune system. In this case, there's multiple reasons not to get multiple Jabs. He said the multiple vaccines could affect T cells and hamper the body's ability to fight off viruses. 
This has been said by other people, too, and I think we talked about it on a previous episode. Uh, Malone was scathing about Biden's warning of a winter death for the unvaccinated. The political genius behind that should be taken out behind the woodshed and given a good whooping because that was just horrible political messaging, says Malone. He continued, our government is out of control on this, and they are lawless. They completely disregard bioethics. They completely disregard the federal common rule. They have broken all the rules that I know of. And I've been trained on for years and years and years. These mandates of an experimental vaccine are explicitly illegal. They're explicitly inconsistent with the Nuremberg Code. They're explicitly inconsistent with the Belmont Report. They are flat out illegal and they don't care. Malone went further, saying there were incentives of the government to maintain the state of emergency. Malone claimed that U.S. society was hypnotized. A third of the population is being hypnotized and totally wrapped up in whatever Tony Fauci in the mainstream media feeds them. Whatever CNN tells him is true, he said. He referenced what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and the 30s. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population. They went barking mad. And how did this happen? The answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that's become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety in a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it, then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point. Just like hypnosis, they literally become hypnotized and they can be led anywhere. He said people have been brainwashed to follow a leader and follow that person through hell. It doesn't matter whether they lie to them, whatever. The data are irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked. This is central to mass formation psychosis. And this is what happened. We had all of those conditions. Malone said he suspected that some of the effects of the vaccine reported in children were happening to adults, too. Why are children more susceptible to these adverse events? I think they're not, Malone said. I think the problem is that we're seeing it in the kids, but it's present in the adult population also. I think there's a significant reporting bias going on against reporting adult vaccine injury. The government is telling you that they think you're a simpleton. Facebook is telling you that they think you're a simpleton. YouTube is telling you that they think you're a simpleton. They will pull things off the air and off of the waves because they don't think you can figure it out for yourselves. It doesn't matter if this guy's a crackpot or not. There's many more out there who feel the same way Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough feel, and these are some well-respected folks. The point is, You are supposed to be able to listen to the information, research if you feel the need, and make a decision as to whether or not you believe what they're saying. You are supposed to decide that for yourself. Not Facebook, not Coco from YouTube, not Fauci, not the government. You, the government, Fauci, Gates, and Zuckerberg all think you're too stupid. Now this from Mike Rowe, I'd like a second opinion. Hey, Mike, last year you said Joe Rogan couldn't be canceled. What say you now with CNN calling for other artists and musicians to join Neil Young and Joni Mitchell? Do you think Spotify will cave? I'm just going to read some excerpts from, uh, from Mike's uh, response. I still think Joe Rogan is too big to cancel, at least in terms of being made irrelevant. His audience is large and loyal, barring some actual scandal 
like the kind that would compromise his authenticity. Well, they're playing the race card now. They're going after him big time, which is which is their playbook. As soon as somebody pisses them off, they go dig up something from the past and they play the race card. I suspect most of them would follow him wherever he went. As far as they'd probably go to Rumble if he goes anywhere. As far as CNN encouraging solidarity around Young and Mitchell, well, that's not surprising in the coming days or hours. I expect someone at Fox will encourage those artists who cherish the First Amendment to make their feelings known as well. We'll see. Personally, I don't agree with Joe Rogan, but I have listened to a lot of his episodes. Obviously, I don't agree with everything he says. Many of his guests interest me a great deal, including the two doctors whose opinions have upset Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. Dr. Peter McCullough is a cardiologist who happens to be the most published doctor in his field. Dr. Malone owns nine patents on the creation of mRNA vaccine technology. Both doctors are vocally skeptical of the vaccines and cite serious concerns with the profit motives of big pharma. The fact that Rogan talked with two highly credentialed doctors for over three hours at a time is exceedingly valuable to promoting an open Discourse, kind of like getting a second opinion, which until now, everyone seemed to applaud. No one in the mainstream media or any of the cable channels has conducted an interview like this. And the fact that he's so featured similar conversations with opposing doctors like Michael Osterholm and Sanjay Gupta should discount any accusation of political bias. As for Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, obviously both are free to do whatever they want with their music. It's disappointing to learn two of his favorite songwriters believe fans of Joe Rogan are incapable of deciding for themselves what misinformation is. As Rogan points out in his video, misinformation has ways of becoming truth, often overnight. Scientists now know for a fact that vaccines don't prevent infection and cloth masks do nothing to slow the spread. Eight months ago, saying either one of those things on Twitter or Facebook would get you banned. Today, it's reported by CNN as fact. Earlier today, an alarming report was issued by John Hopkins. I encourage you to read it all. The takeaway is simple. Lockdowns did not work. Consider that for a moment. Tony Fauci insisted over and over that lockdown saves millions of lives. But now, according to one of the most trusted sources of medical information on Earth, we're told the lockdowns didn't work. I can't begin to tell you how much grief I took on this page last year when I simply posed the question, what if the cure is worse than the disease? It's an honest question brought about by dire estimates from various aid organizations that predicted millions of people around the world were likely to die from starvation as a result of COVID-related lockdowns. People were upset. They told me it was irresponsible and dangerous to suggest such a thing on a platform with 6 million people. So who exactly is spreading misinformation? Me? Micro. Joe Rogan? Well, me too. Um, the scientists and doctors at John Hopkins? Our own public health officials? Why would anyone in a climate where respected doctors and legitimate scientists have differing opinions on matters of such grave importance object to a podcast that welcomes a variety of medical opinions? Why would rock stars, the very people who rely on the right to express themselves freely, try to science medical experts they don't agree with? Why are they so afraid of a second opinion? But to your question mark, even if Rogan is too big to be canceled, he's not too big to be fired. Apparently, Nils Lofgren, Graham Nash, NDRE have joined Neil Young and Joni Mitchell in their calls to rein in Rogan or shut him down altogether. That's probably not enough to end the biggest podcast in the world. But what will Spotify do if Beyonce or Taylor Swift 
or Alicia Keys hops on board, Bruno Mars, Rolling Stones. Well, the fact is, Spotify can survive without Joe Rogan, but a music streaming service without music? Well, uh, time will tell, I suppose, or maybe the musicians will. Either way, keep on rocking in the free world. Great, interesting perspective, uh, Mr. Rowe. I appreciate your insight. Uh, As we come to the end of our time together in the storm you know i like to give the new socialists a lot of grief but i was thinking the other day about my life at 19 or 22 or 26 we really didn't want to change the world that much as kids we kind of like the world we live in we thought our parents were boobs just like you kids today we pushed the envelope of our uh, boundaries daily uh, we enjoyed living in our world if we sought change in our world, it was in the way we made our contribution to it. We got jobs. We moved out of our parents' homes. Some of us left our hometowns, ventured into the great unknown world. We got cars. We got apartments or small houses for rent in the hopes of one day owning a home. We left jobs for, uh, in search of a better work environment or for more money. Uh, what was not to love? It was great. It was not too difficult. And the money went away. So I rag on the new socialists for living with mom and dad, but really... I have to admit, we had affordable housing. We had affordable cars. We could live on our own. These kids don't leave the house, and why should they? Why would they? Housing's barely affordable for me, let alone them. Groceries, well, they're expensive, too. You want a car? You want insurance? Not like it was when I was a kid graduating from high school. Kids out of high school can't pay a dollar a square foot for housing. They can't pay $20,000 for a car. And they damn sure can't tack the $250 a month for insurance on top of that. They should be able to. They would be able to. But a great many of them can't because over the last 30 years, wages grew at 0% a year while inflation grew at 3 or 4 or 5 in a good year. At this rate, it's not going to be long before grown-ups can't afford their own place either. Uh... I think that's what the new order wants anyway. They can come in, clean it up with their plan, their platform, and their pile driver that crushes us all. Uh, That's going to do it for this episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, I sure hope you did. Next week, we'll discuss how hundreds of thousands of deaths in this country could have been avoided during the COVID pandemic. I hope you'll join us. Don't forget to give us a rumble. Give us a like. Give us a comment or three. Check out the Facebook page and most importantly, share the storm with your friends. Uh, I can't wait to see you in the next storm. But until then, remember, masks are stupid. The final variant is communism. Epstein didn't kill himself. Critical race theory and white privilege are racism. And there's only two genders. Have a great week. Stay vigilant. We'll see you next time in the storm.